Hi, this is Glow, and you're listening to Critical Justice, a show where we cover topics related to race, history, and politics. I'm very excited to welcome Greg Marcel Dixon. Marcel is a 2022 candidate for South Carolina's sixth congressional district seat, an award-winning educator by trade. He has taught grade school for 16 years. He's also a proud member of the Gullah Geechee Nation, and his roots in South Carolina and the Georgia Low Country go back to at least the late 1700s. His inspiration for running in his view, is his view that Black America needs real representation. Hi, Marcel. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Glow. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Again, thank you so much for coming out. It's, it's, it's going to be really fun tonight. Um, I see you on the web a lot, so it's going to be nice to get to know who you are as a candidate. So. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. So, let, so, so with that in mind, um, let's do get to know you. Tell us three things you want people to know about you as a person, not as a candidate. Well, three things about me as a person is, well, you mentioned one that's very important to my history is that I, my culture, I'm Black American, freedmen, descendant of Black Americans that were enslaved by the American government. Adolf, some people say, using that acronym, not necessarily to represent the organization, but the, the, the heritage or descendant of American slaves or black American descendant of chattel slavery. There's so many. I, yeah. like to say native <laughs> black, I like to say native black American, but I've recently started using Freedmen because I feel mm -hmm. that is really the more constitutional legal term. But my, I'm Freedmen and my subculture is a Black American Creole culture called Gullah Geechee. We're known for many things, but it's a, uh, the heritage is basically a Creole heritage that came about because of the isolation we experienced in rural, predominantly rural coastal South Carolina in coastal Georgia in the South, especially South Carolina. We were uh, known as being the founders of the Rice Coast. We were the source of the original significant wealth of the British 13 colonies. Our ability to grow rice and indigo is what made the 13 colonies sustainable. Before that, they were economically failing. Matter of fact, some people were actually returning home. But our ancestors, our African forefathers, had experience, of course, in a tropical climate and environment. But because the and it still is, that's why I'm gonna turn the fan back on, excuse me, is um, so hot, humid, and during those days, ridden with malaria and snakes and wild animals of the marshes and swamps, the white enslavers would often go inland and leave the black people who were enslaved in the sea islands in the coast. Very important to note, South Carolina, at 1703 became majority black and stayed that way until like around 1960. So it was a lot of black people from different parts of the African continent, mainly Central Africa at first, then later Western Africa from Nigeria and the Senegambia um, um, region, but of different cultures. We were able to maintain a lot of our African practices. Of course, we made them realize with the new environment. So I'm Gullah Geechee. We're known for being very, Stubborn as hell, <laughs> and we are known for being rebellious, and we're known for not backing down and fighting to the end. 
So that's one thing about me. We have delicious food. We have our own language, words like kuta and banta, juke, which means dance. The, the thing that influenced the jukebox, hoodoo, which now people associate with Black American folk magic. But it was a word, a gullah word that meant luck, mainly bad luck. Um, kuta, turtle, banta, chicken. There's more tote, carry. I don't speak the language of it. Very few people do, but very older people do. So I'm very, very rooted in my culture. And we have a lot of rice dishes because that was the thing which we were experts at growing. Rice, stews, seafood, spicy stews, leafy vegetables. Another thing about me is I love to travel. I've been to, I don't know, close to 20 countries, not because I have the money, wow. because I, I was already in debt, student loans for a career that if I continue this career for the next 200 years, I'm still not even gonna put a dent in my student loans. So my mother was like, you know what? You give a lot to people. You need to do something for yourself. So I just say, you know what? I'm gonna be in debt forever in this current system. I might as well go in debt doing something I really enjoy and love. So I started traveling and what I realized, and this is gonna sort of overlap with me as a candidate, is that the conditions I saw of black people and throughout the diaspora, in South America, in the Caribbean, and then on the continent of Africa, and in Europe. I realized that where I'm from, a small town named Ridgeland, South Carolina, is like 25 minutes from Savannah, Georgia, uh, like 45 minutes from Charleston, South Carolina, smack dab in the heart of the low country. I have seen some of my people live in conditions that in a developing nation you might understand why it's wrong but you could probably understand why they recently became independent they were ravaged by colonization but america has been independent since 1776 but black people weren't matter right. of fact you can technically still say black people are still under the subjugation of the american government and i realized that well damn the circumstances i'm seeing here look just like what i'm seeing at home so you mean to tell me Black Americans built the wealthiest nation on earth, yet we're living in conditions in some of the poorest areas on earth where I've traveled or seen? And another thing was, we know white America exports anti-Blackness. Yeah, I mean, anti-Blackness started in Europe, Western Europe, but America mastered it pretty well, and they exported it. But I found out that people were fascinated by me because I was a Black American, fascinated by our slang, our fashion, our music, our history of resistance. They fascinated by the fact that they, everyone knows about America, okay? Nina Simone, so everyone knew about Mississippi. Uh, Nina Simone once, I, I could take that song and say, Everybody knows about America, goddamn. Everyone knows about America and their treatment of Black Americans. Everyone knows. And yet they are surprised that we don't back down. Matter of fact, when I was like a kid, it was like, you know what? I wish some, a lot more of us had the spirit. And Kenya is a country where there's resistance, the Mao Mao or Mai Mai resistance to the British colonists. And yet they were saying, you know what? We wish my people had the fighting spirit of Black Americans because y'all don't back down. Even when y'all know 
you're going to lose get gunned down. Y'all still not afraid to take to the streets and take the fight to them. So I was like, well, damn, I was more, I was traveling to be more fascinated by other black cultures. I love my own, but I want to connect with the black brotherhood throughout the globe during those times. And they were fascinated by me. I was the fascinating one. Even someone who had been to America and they knew about my culture, Gullah Geechee. It was like, they're like, where are you from? I'll be like, we're in South Carolina. They're like, oh, I never heard of that. I said, yeah, you heard of Savannah, Georgia? Everyone's heard of Savannah, Georgia. I'll be all right, 25 minutes from there. Oh, you one of those saltwater people. Or you one of those rice-eating people. I'll be like, well, yeah. So me traveling made me appreciate more what we as Black Americans have, what we are. And it just really helped me to find myself. When I went to West Africa for the first time in Nigeria, I really did feel like a more a, 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 a fuller person, like a completed person, because I was able to see some of the elements our people held on to. And I know that gets into a controversial thing, but hell, this is how I feel. I know it gets to this old, old Native Black American versus everyone else thing, but whatever. I was able to see that our people, which is why I don't get into the Asper Wars, or something that Bridge Wars touch on, our people held on to the little bit that wasn't ripped from them and made it something cool and made it uniquely Black American. So that, I'm very proud of, how always, I always have been, but traveling, I was able to learn more about myself. So I love to travel. And the third thing about me is, <laughs> I'll say, um, um, I'm not, um, as uh, I'm trying to think of things I can say that won't say, okay, let me cut this program off, something that's PG. I, I can, I'm not always PG. I can be controversial. I can be surprisingly bold for a man that was bullied in middle school and allowed people to impose their will upon them because I wasn't allowed. I wasn't, I didn't have the, the upbringing. Well, that's not, no, I had experiences as a child that because of some of my peculiarities were not always appreciated by some people in my life. I could never feel comfortable being who I was. And when you can't feel comfortable being in your own skin, it's almost difficult for you to stand up for who you are when you're not even comfortable being who you are. So even if you're getting persecuted for who you are, the way you the way you behave, you try not to be that person. So subconsciously, you almost feel like you deserve it. You don't even feel the gumption to stand for yourself. But surprisingly, I was still always a bold person, had very strong opinions. And when it came to right and wrong, and I was not ever going to relinquish it. It didn't matter if I was the only person in the world who felt that way. So that can be a thing that makes me, me people, I guess I'm hard to deal with with some people, but I'm only hard to deal with with people who think that people need to always feel the same way they feel about a matter. Because no, I am not going to compromise on certain beliefs, especially when it comes to my people. So I can be pretty, going back to me being God like it all connects. All of it really revolves around my heritage, my not black American culture, but I can be pretty bold. I guess it sometimes gets me in trouble, but um, isn't that what they call good trouble? 
So yeah, I guess I get in good trouble quite often. So I'm pretty bold and I could be sometimes fly off the cuff and I could sometimes be outlandish and I'm just going to stop there. Like give me details. You will be censored. I'm going to lose my ninth, 190th social media, whatever account. So I'm going to stop there. Well, listen, what you just said is actually a really perfect segue into my next question, right? Talking about that boldness and not wanting to back down and that being ingrained in who you are as a person, because I first became acquainted with you through seeing videos of your interactions with elected officials in town hall meetings across the low country. But when they have to go home, they make those decisions about whether or not they uh, get their prescription drugs and pay their utility bills. Tell James Clyburn to stand you know, up for have, us too. We have to stand in the gap for those Tell James Clyburn to support reparations. What, what you want James Clyburn to say? To support reparations. I will to fight for Denmark to get clean water. Black voters matter. Well, so does the quality of life. I agree black with him. Voters. Black voters matter. Uh, and God, black. What, you speak? what else you want to say? And the quality of black life matters. Black policies you. matter. Can we I, are not I just agree. here to give our votes away. They need to do policies for us like they do for the I agree with you. Like Can they I do for the, the homosexuals. No, but where's the mention of black policies? Can I, can I, can I go now? Because I agree with you. You want to know what I agree with you on? Thank you, Congressman Clyburn, for coming. Too often the politicians that say they speak for us never want to speak to us. So I think we should thank them for being here. We should thank them for being here. Um, Congressman Clyburn, I love this handout, but it's missing one thing. And I'm going to try not to get emotional, but I want to read it. In 2019, the average, and I know you know these statistics, the average wealth of the average white American family is $188,000. For black American families, it's only $24,000. Now, I'm Bella, okay? 80% of rural land, black land ownership, has been lost since 1969. A white high school dropout has more wealth than a black college graduate. Per the Accountable USA and the Food and Research Action Center, your district and the district I've grown up in is the sixth poorest district in the United States of America. Which district? The sixth district? South Carolina District 6. Now, um, there's a quote, and I, maybe that's not true, but there's a no, quote. That's not true. There's a quote that says, I do not, but they backed it up with census data, but they, there's a quote that says, I do not buy the concept popular in the 1960s, which said, we have suppressed the black man for 300 years, and the white man is now far ahead in the race for everything our society offers. In order to even the score, we must now give the black man a head start, or even hold the white man back to even the race. I don't buy that. I'll be damned if I pay for the sins of my forefathers. I don't feel responsible for the sins of my forefathers. I just feel responsible for now. Now, hearing that quote, y'all might think I'm talking about Donald Trump. No, that was Joe Biden. Now, Congressman, you said we know Joe and Joe knows us. And Joe Biden told us that he would have our backs. But since being in office, Joe Biden has signed executive action 
for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. He has signed executive actions for LGBTQ citizens. But where's his executive action for black Americans? Now, what a lot of people may not realize, I don't know, but I just learned this. Funny thing, Joe Biden got in office and he repelled a lot of stuff Donald Trump did. For a man who said he wasn't concerned with the sins of forefathers, he's still repealing past sins of Donald Trump. But what about the biggest sin and the original sin this country committed, which was the brutal enslavement of my people? And after slavery, the race massacres, the violent discrimination that kept us in poverty, the land theft, okay? We, black Americans, now, since 1865, black Americans own only 0.5 wealth in America. Today, we own less than 3%. Since slavery, not much has changed. Joe Biden could easily do executive action and bring back the Freedmen's Bureau, whose job was to close all disparities between black Americans who are descendants of freedmen and white Americans. Joe Biden, with just a stroke of a pen, can start a commission to study reparations and implement them. You are a representative. We can't show up everywhere. People say, well, black people need to organize. We've been organizing since the 1500s. These other groups come in like Asian Americans, and within a few months, they get bills for them. It's your job to speak up for us. So you say we know Joe and Joe knows us. I don't care what type of heart Joe has. I care about the policies Joe is going to pass. So why is it, Congressman Clyburn, that you do not support reparations and you do not push Joe Biden to at least bring back the Freedmen's Bureau to close all disparities between white Americans and black Americans? We talk about a crisis at the border. What about the crisis in black America? That was the difference is the crisis in black America was inflicted on us externally. America was built on our back, and we still hold this country up on our backs. It's broken every bone in our bodies, and yet it keeps up with our sweats. Okay, well, can you please explain why you haven't pushed them then on executive action, specific policies for your people, black Americans? That's my question. I don't get it. What makes you think I have it? Because we haven't seen it. I see you on the news, and you talk about every other issue, AAPI, LGBTQ, I watch you, I, I follow you, just to see if you're going to mention black you American know. issues and you don't. Have you ever heard of HR 40? Yes. HR 40, yes, that lacks direct cash payments. It has Sorry. no specific, that lacks direct cash payments. It lacks specific policies so that you, black Americans are supposed to get. It's just a study, but what policy is it specifying for us? When you start. We start with the where, minimum that black Americans are supposed to get. Where would you start? I would start with the minimum that a reparations well, policy for black Americans. I don't know what the minimum is. I'm trying to answer your question. Are you going to let me answer it? Where would I start? Tell me what the minimum is. The minimum, there's a book called From Here to Equality that you have a copy of because the Mystic Branch NAACP sent you a copy because I called your office. The minimum is explained in that book, at least $11 trillion, direct cash payments, land allotment, tax exemption, free education, the Freedmen's Bureau returning to close all disparity. That's the minimum. Okay. This country can't bring back all the people they've taken from us, but they can at least make a big down payment, like the $65 billion, give us our $65 trillion. Okay.
Six past is a down day. Ten twenty thirty is a down day. The American Rescue Act is a down day. Specific for us. Those are universal. Those are those are universal policies. We're talking about specifics for Black Americans. What's universal policies? For us, like the even got something for them. Like what? And there was that boldness and that willingness to speak up. And I would say on a scale of one to 10, I would rate your civic engagement and your boldness and your willingness to speak up to like an 11. Like you are, you're going to say what you have to say. You're going to advocate. You. So you may have already answered this question, but I'm looking for like a specific instance in this. What drove you to get involved and first start voicing your concerns about some of what you were seeing in your district? So my family... My mother always says that people probably think she was like, you know, I don't know, um, Angela Davis, um, Shaka Khan, before Shaka Khan became a musician, she was a Black Panther. And if people haven't watched Shaka Khan's interview, she's still very, you know, I think when she became a musician, she sort of became more acclimated to that world. But if in the early days, Shaka Khan was like, and you know, my mother think like people think that she was like some Black Panther because I'm so, and have always been, but she, my mother is not, but she always instilled in us a love for Black people, Black culture, and Black American culture. My mother always instilled in us that we were never just slaves. We were people who were enslaved, but we were actually engineers, architects, chemists, scientists, yes. founders of civilizations, which is why they wanted us. And they didn't teach us nothing that we did not already know. It was because we already had these skills, they wanted us. The iron work is another thing that got to get you for along with rice cultivation, irrigation, and medicine. I think because of that, I always had an awareness of seeing the world through a Black lens, a Black American freedman lens. However, I was my grandmother, my mother's mother, was Jehovah Witness. And my mother's uh, my grand my, my mother's my mother's grandmother, who's my great grandmother, became a Jehovah's Witness in the 70s, as did my grandma, my mother's mother. And quite a few of my relatives were Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was and not all, some were, you know, the traditional Baptists, and some of were Muslims, mainly the men were Muslims, and some of them were I, it's kind of still and mysterious to me, Masons, whatever. But my mother always raised us in the drama with his faith. She was not one herself, but she went to the Kingdom Hall. I read the week and watched our magazines, which were Bible A's. We were always told, look it up in the Bible, look it up in the Bible, because we don't want you thinking of magazines, the Bible. And one of the things we went, one of the things for my studies is I came to appreciate why we were to remain neutral in political affairs. So while I always had this consciousness and this burning rage, is not in the nation, I'm asking the nation. People say, well, you say in the nation, because rage sounds negative, hell with that, it's rage. I have a reason to be rageful. I have over 400 years of reason to be rageful. I always had this rage in me that made me want to fight and say, oh, hell no, you're not going to do this to my people. But because me being a Jehovah's Witness, 
the study, what I got from my studies was that Jehovah was going to soon get rid of all these issues in the world. And right now, in the meantime, we are to help promote change in this system by engaging people with the Bible. Because if everyone followed the Bible, you know, they're all racist, Indian guy, Mohandas Gandhi, whatever his name is, Mohandi Gandhi. He said to a British general one time, I found the book that will solve not just my problems, the problems of people in my country, your problems, the problems of people in your country and every other country. He was talking about the Bible. And we was like, if people would listen to the Bible, then really we would have had reparations. There would be no greed. There would have been no chattel slavery if it was not misrepresented and misquoted. Because yes, the Bible has been used of abuse and missing our context. So I abstained from politics for most of my life. And finally, I had to make a very tough decision because I did, I did get that task from a witness and I'm still technically one, but I'm not practicing. It does not work that way in the world with this faith. You're either practicing or you're engaging in things in which you took a vow not to do through a study of the Bible. That's a whole story. But I finally made the decision that I cannot just promote and push for positive change, social change through the Bible and help us get prepared for Joel God's coming kingdom. I said, I had to do something. The fire in me just won. The passion in me just overtook me. So what happened is that I was like, you know what? I'm a nobody. That's how I was viewing myself. I don't have any connections, any resources. I was like, but I am a teacher, and I do have access to students. 33% of my students is black, but in the county where I am, it's like 90% I went to that same, my same public schools here in my county, one of the most troubled school systems in South Carolina, is one of the most troubled states when it comes to education. I think it's like the fourth, third most troubled state when it comes to education. So you can technically argue my, my county is the lowest performing in the state of South Carolina, you could technically argue that my county is probably the one of the most educationally troubled school districts in the country. And it still is. Things like that. So I said, well, one thing I'm gonna do, we can't give my black my black American students adequate housing, but not giving them access to quality health care that should be free. If for no one else, for black Americans, we can't give them access to safe homes, safe communities good infrastructure, nutritious food. We can't give them the basics, but at least I can try to make sure they get their full history. I wanted to teach them from the beginning of civilization to now the founding of America and America's status as the most powerful country in the world. It was all done by Black Americans, the founding of civilization to now. And I was pushing that to happen. I called everyone, I wrote letters, Al Sharpton's Rainbow Coalition, uh, NAACP, that went nowhere. Matter of fact, I called the headquarters in Atlanta. The lady answered the phone was nasty and rude. And I, I, I called her back to let her know exactly what she was, but I'm glad she didn't answer. So I probably would have said some things I would not have regret. And that would have been a problem, but not have regret. Because at first, I was like, you know, I'm calling her back. What the hell are you doing working for an organization? that's supposed to benefit and advocate for Black Americans, and you got a goddamn attitude about someone calling to mandate that at least in South Carolina or in the country should be, people learn about the full history of Black Americans. But y'all sitting there giving statements in support of people learning about Asian American history and Jewish history. It makes me mad just talking about it. Mm -hmm. I called um, the NWC Branch here. 
I left messages, they lied, so they were getting back. I called the local state senators and house representatives in South Carolina, never called me back, never emailed. And maybe if any of them want to say I'm lying, I have the emails. I dare any of them to tell me I'm lying. In fact, they know I'm telling the truth when Marjorie Black was at that town hall when I confronted a certain politician who's like one of the most powerful in this country. She ran her behind all because she knew my voice and she knew I was coming to confront her on that. But therefore, they're people, right? These the same ones want to tell black people what we need to do, but you in power. What do you need to be doing? So I finally decided I'm going to call James Clyburn because, you know, he's black. And he has, I read that he's the third most powerful Democrat, one of the uh, one of the most powerful politicians, period, in this country, has so much influence. I said, well, he can at least help me. Because I already knew his excuse. I didn't know a lot about politics, and I still don't. But I knew enough to know he was going to pull down, well, that's a local state matter. Because I'm in South Carolina, which is a red state, and the Republicans love to pull that state, local issue stuff. So I already knew where he was going to give him. I said, he would at least have resources. And I started calling his office. And when I left a voicemail, or they said, one of his aides, they would call me back, I was dumb enough to take them seriously. And I never got a call back. And I said, you know what? I'm not taking this anymore. So I kept calling back and kept calling back and kept calling back to the point where they knew who I was. I said, I need you to information call back. Oh, we already have it. And kept calling back and kept calling back and kept calling back. And it's like the more I called back, the more they were determined not to respond to me. I was like, he is, I said, I don't care what I have to do. I'm fine him. I said, all I'm trying to do is get South Carolina, one of the most black, one of the blackest historically, and still is, yeah. is not 68%, 69%, 90% black like it used to be. And it's the black population is declining, but it ebbs and flows because it was just 32% some years ago, dropped down to 26. Now it's at 26, went up to 28. So it is the ebb and flow, depending on economic circumstances. And the way things are now, a lot of black people who are South Carolinians who move away, they tend to move back home. When mm -hmm. things get really hard economically, you say with grandmother and mother, stuff like that. I said, and that no one can help me with that. I will say I'll shop this thing, Rainbow Network, is the only network that I got a response from. I called the lady in Savannah and we spoke for hours. Only problem was she was like, it's such they're so small in numbers. Their main focus right now is Savannah. Savannah has so many issues too. Mm -hmm. Like this, this is one of the poorest regions in America. Savannah is right next door to us. So it leads us through Savannah's right just as we die straight. She's like, they were trying to get things done just with the basics. Get garbage collected in neighborhoods. Stop getting black boys arrested for selling a candy bar and being kept in jail for years because they haven't gone to a trial yet for stealing something as minuscule as a Snickers bar if they even really did it. So she was like, she, she was off on my issue. She was just honest that they don't know if they'll have the manpower to promote it. And I saw a lost contact with her, but she, now shop this thing is the only ever did respond. So I came across, I was looking for James Clyburn's behind on Twitter. And I know he's my elder. I'm sorry, no, I'm gonna call him an older person. And I respect all people, but I respect my respect all people. But respect him as an elder, you have to earn that. You ain't earn it. But you got the sixth poorest district, but you have your portfolio has risen. You haven't earned me calling you an elder. I was looking for him on Twitter and I came across a video of a gentleman, Jamie and Fowler, 
confronting him? Uh, if you wait on cash payments to come out of uh, reparations, you're going to wait forever. It's not going to happen. So what you've got to do, well, let me just talk to you. Don't put that in my face. Why are you touching me? Okay, all right. I'm, I'm going to leave you alone. Cut the check. Tell Nessie Pelosi to cut the check. <laughs> yeah. You do that for She's me? She's the treasurer. Cut the check. The Somebody trailer? better cut the check. Well, you Reparations talk, are old, sir. You talk to the ADOS, you're not going to run away from this issue, Congressman. Oh, I'm not trying to run away from it. It seems like you are. You're walking no, away I'm, right now. Oh. I'm, I'm cut the check, you. Congressman. Right. Cut the check. Okay. ADOS, you're not going to walk away from this, Congressman. ADOS is everywhere. <laughs> cut the check. And I saw the hashtag ADOS. Had no idea what it was. Click on the hashtag, and I started seeing all this talk about reparations, the wealth gap, Black Americans only having. I mean, I knew it was low, but I didn't know the figures like this. Black Americans only having in 2016, what, $17,000 of wealth compared to $176,000 of wealth. Now it's changed. White Americans, like at almost $200,000, we are still hovering around mid $20,000 of wealth. I'm like, I knew it was bad, mm-hmm. but seeing the things in charts and data woke me up. So I found what it was. I started following the ADOS organization. Yes, I don't know if it was that time. And I had no one here. It was just little old me. But like I said, as a teacher, I'm usually a teacher getting called to the principal's office because I told the parents how it was going to be. I told the kids how it was going to be. And God damn it, that's how it was in my class. And I wasn't backing down. And my mm-hmm. dad was always good. And I'm like, if I was doing what I was doing, which I was never doing anything wrong, by the way, if I was hard on my kids and the data was pissed for, then I needed to change a few things. But if my data is the best in the school and among the highest in a county that's endemic for failure, and yet I'm getting an area where kids are usually 30%, Professional met and reading at the best 30%, and I'm getting 76%, 80%. I'm doing something right. You ain't gonna tell me to change. See, what you're trying to do is normalize black failure. I'm not normalizing black failure. You're trying to teach these black kids that they can act like fools, which, by the way, all the colors act like fools. But I knew black kids wouldn't have the, the, the grace of acting like a fool and being in a bounce back from the next day like they're on a trampoline. I know what it would meant for them. So I was hard on all my kids, but I did particularly let the black kids, you know, I spoke to them and kept real. You're not going to even have a chance to recover. That's not the way it should be. And I'm going to work on how making it the way it should be. But I came across the ADOS movement and I decided that I had no one here with me, but I wanted to do something so bad that I said, you know what? Jamie and Fowler was just a cell phone when it confronted James Tyburn. I've been looking for that man for at least a year. If all he had was a cell phone and a Twitter account, I had a Twitter account since 2011, never used it. I finally started using it, and I got my cell phone, and I pretty much went there like, who, 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 who I'm going to check first? I just went out with myself and like, who, oh, you, you a local town man? And I went to Pete Buttigieg, a little town hall rally, because he called himself trying to appeal to the goodness of white racists, using that lie about Donald Trump's election, which by the way, I'm not some anti-Donald Trump person, anti-Joe Biden person, I don't like none of them. But he was trying to do that whole economic anxiety, makes white people racist thing. Hell no. 
But then when uh, what's the late name, Sonny Holston asked him about reparations on the view, he was like, I have a hard time seeing how that would be fair. Fair? Fair? <laughs> Four, over 400 years of unfairness toward us. Now time to pay for what you did. And you are not worried about how anyone else is going to do that as fair. Where was all that worry about fairness? We was going through things. And I confronted him, and it was scary as hell. It was like 8,000 people there. You know, when you go to rallies, it's never really a good way. It's not a, unless you have a movement of people who are against a person. Well, there was like a heckling crowd there, but it was like small, and they left after a while. Most of the time you go to rallies, you're going to be there amongst fans of those people. And I said, Marcel... Don't do this. You're going to have people get <laughs> down your back. And I was like the only black person in Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston region, the city is like 20% black, used to be like 89%. But the Charleston region is still around 45, 48% black. More than that, you include the rural areas. But there was like no black people there. He came to Charleston and said to try to connect with black people. It was really a bunch of our white allies there. And um, our LGBTQ allies there. I'm LGBTQ, and I can tell you, we don't got no allies nowhere. I told the story too. And I said, I did meet some white people because they was like, oh, you here to support him? I was like, no, I'm here to, I'm here to hold him accountable. I'm here to hear what he's going to do. I'm here to, I'm here to question him. And this old, these old white ladies, like, you know what? He, they feel like part, they had that to like, politicians should not be praised, they should be pressured. And I was like, you know, Yvette Carnell has said the same thing, a quote I love. Politicians don't respond to applause. They respond to pressure. And then when they said the same thing, I'm like, oh, they've been watching ADOS? Oh, they probably had never heard of it, but they, like, held people back so I could confront him. And, yeah, there were some people like, you taking a long time. Can we just take a picture with him? I said, y'all worried about a picture? I'm worried about my present and my future. And that really was the spark that empowered me. And then I confronted Joe Cunningham, who was the con congressman for the neighboring district, um, about his dance reparations. I asked him, where's his black agenda? You are in the Gullah Geechee homeland. We were ran out of Hilton Island, which is not one of the wealthiest, is the wealthiest, or one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in South Carolina. 30 minutes from me. I am living in one of the poorest, next to Yamasee, South Carolina, which is one of the poorest towns of South Carolina. It, all this used to be black. Y'all couldn't build it up then. We had to take boats. We, some people still have boats here because when it floods. But when the white people start moving in with that high tax bracket, y'all could fix it up then. But when my people were here, you couldn't do a damn thing for them. So I said, what is your black agenda? And the crowd was like, the crowd got quiet. It was all white people again. Then Tom Steyer came. I showed him my little cell phone again. In fact, it was broken by that time. I dropped it somewhere. <laughs> it's still recorded. And I worked my way down the line. I went to a reparations conference by, um, what those people call? Um, NARC and N. Cobra. One of the two. These ones were a little bit more reparations should be monetary than the ones who are more like, let's make it be a 25% discount at Lowe's. <laughs> These are more the, yeah, but, and I worked my way to the, you know how the kingpin 
If you ever, I, I, I um, you know, how in the movies, and like especially in the movies of the eighties, these always be like the evil white guy who was behind everything sitting in a chair, and he'll turn around, reveal his face, while well, work my way to the kingpin, and that was James Clyburn. I finally got him, and I had that. I had a well, no, yeah, that same damn cell phone. No, 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 I had a different cell phone by then. But anyway, I finally worked my way to him. And by that time, I was used to not being supported, not being cheered for when I do these things. But I have always said, this has been my driving principle, uh, a, a, a leader, and I don't consider myself a leader, but people tell me you are. We're all leaders in a way, maybe big or small, but we are. So I'm just going to say it's my driving principle is a leader does what is right even if it's not popular, even if it's not easy, you are not going to be a leader to do what's right and what's popular. I mean, I'm sorry, you are a leader. Your focus is not to do what's popular. Your focus is not to do what's easy. Your focus is supposed to do what is right. And I said, I am going to be what I will hope all people consider themselves good people who are leaders to be, point blank. And that's in any setting. Right. Listen, so you you actually dropped a few stats. You're doing perfect with your answers because they're, they're falling right in line with my question. So you you shared some stats about the district in terms of the population um, and a few other things. And I, and I feel like I've heard you say, share some stats before. So for anyone who's listening that wants to support but doesn't understand the condition of the folks in your district, which includes several uh, counties. I'll share those now. Allendale, Bamberg, Clarendon, Colladon, Hampton, Jasper, and Williamsburg counties, as well as some parts of Beaufort, Berkeley, Calhoun, Charleston, Charleston Dorchester, Orangeburg, Richland, and Sumter counties, right? So this is the district that you're talking about when you say, when you talk about education and you're talking about um, some of the issues with, with poverty and low resources. Can you share a few of those stats now um, so that people can understand this, the condition? Okay, well, one, there are 435 congressional districts in the United States of America. That's a lot of congressional districts. Now, sometimes the number expands because of population growth and they add new districts. Mm -hmm. Like South Carolina was right at the cusp of having a new district added. 500,000 people moved to South Carolina on record from 2010 to 2020. Keep in mind, though, a lot of Black American people moved back, like my aunt and my cousins from up north in Atlanta who were here, but they moved back here. They moved here, but they haven't registered here yet. So on record, they're still in Georgia. And a lot of Black people do that. I know, because I work in a school system, but we always have to get on a lot of my time, my Black American family is about, hey, you got to register here, or if you register here, you won't have to pay this tax or whatever. But a lot of black people like move there from wherever they were staying, move back south, but they don't register with their state. But on record, 500,000 black people. Number one demographic was uh, old white people who are retiring here. Second were black Americans returning from cities like New York City and Philadelphia, where a lot of black South Carolinians went, went to during the Bay Great Migration. I um, bring that up to say 435 districts, though, usually around 440. Out of all those districts, my district, James Clyburn's district, in which he's been over for almost 30 years, is mm -hmm. the sixth horse. Wow. Do you know how hard you have to work 
to get from the 435th to the sixth course. I've had some people say to me, well, you're not experienced. You know what you're doing. I said, well, if I get in power, or I get this position to serve, the worst thing I can do is get us to number one, the most, the most important thing. But if I do, it's because I had a lot. I said, James Coburn already kept the seat warm for me. He already he did most of the heavy lifting for me. So if he left me just five more spots. So that's the worst I can do. Hell, he can't get, excuse me, he can't get even just better from here. But, okay, we also have the distinction of having this name thrown upon us called the Court of Shame. You know my district where I heard of it. It's a system of schools along I-95, one of the, the busiest thoroughfare in the United States of America, where the buildings are usually as old as from the 1940s, have not been updated since. There's mold, there's rats, there's leaky ceilings, there's bathrooms with no doors on the stalls. There's toilets that didn't function. I went to such a school, K through 12, and a school is just a reflection of the community. So if the schools are in those conditions, imagine the conditions of the community. The district in which I'm seeking to represent, South Carolina District 6, is not only one of the poorest districts in America, it's the poorest district in South Carolina. And South Carolina has been for decades one of the poorest states in the United States of America. So imagine how poor you have to be to not only be one of the poorest districts in America, six out of 435. Wow. Imagine how poor you are when you're the poorest in one of the poorest states of the United States of America. It's hard to articulate how poor we are, given the data. I can tell you in a town next to me, Yamasee, which is a part of this district. See what they did, they gave James Clyburn, and he doesn't seem to be too upset about it, by the way, all the majority black rural districts of South Carolina, most of them, they actually helped them out. My county was not a part of his district. There was always the push for it to be, because they was like, hey, they're poor, they're black, they're rural, why don't we just give them to James Clyburn? <laughs> and, you know, there's been a push in South Carolina to stop gerrymandering the districts, but um, the Republicans don't want it to end, and neither do the Democrats. Because you can really have several Black, majority Black districts in South Carolina if they cut up this large district. But that's, that's neither here nor there. The districts by the North Carolina, South Carolina border, like Dillon, mm-hmm. are horrifically poor. James mm-hmm. Howard used to have them until they came up with this rule in 2012 that this that congressmen have to represent contiguous counties. They have to actually touch and vote each other. You can't jump from here and jump there. Allendale is one of the poorest towns in the United States of America. The poverty rate hovers somewhere around the 50s and 60s. Whoa. I, when I tell you, you drive through there and you want to talk about a ghost town, that's exactly what it feels like. In my area, and I'm in Jasper County, the only reason our poverty statistics have gotten better is because they, in the night, in the late 90s, started building Sun City. Sun City is a system of retirement neighborhoods for usually older, wealthier people, and usually white. They built it in Hardyville, South Carolina, and because of all the old white retirees moving here, it makes the overall data look better here. If you exclude those white retirees and you just use the Black American 
Gullah Geechee data, the people, the natives of this area, I promise you, we will still be what we were, just as poor as Allendale in those areas. With failing schools, no hospitals. Allendale, like I was bringing up, the only grocery store they have is a, is a, a Dollar General. Food if not, they have to drive 25 miles to get to Buford to go to a grocery store. Wow. If you are in Allendale, sometimes they have to go to Hampton, or sometimes they go to Aiken for their needs, like an hour away. Whoa. There's no, there's no hospital in my town, okay? Our school system, 17% of our students, and this is this is a, a commonality throughout James Hyburn's district, but in my school system, which is the lowest, 17% of the, our students met or exceeded and reading on grade, could read on grade level, could read on or above grade level. The average is never around 25%. At least 30 to 40% of the citizens have no access to health care. And yet, you know who opposes universal health care? Now, I'm all about reparations first, but I still believe there should be universal policy. I'm not against universal policies. I'm against people acting like that will take that will that will serve as reparations. Right. No. Um, the balance, if there's, a, there's an article, I don't know if you remember Lindsey Graham, who I hate as well, says something about, um, he's, that guy, what's that guy named Shannon Sharp, says something about what games exist in South Carolina. Because Lindsey Graham had made some statement about um, games having, ask getting guns. I forgot what Lindsey Graham said. But Shannon Sharp made fun of him, like, what games are in South Carolina? Um, he needs to shut up. Both of them need to shut up. But this uh -huh. is wrong. And this, uh, you got to work hard for me to agree with Lindsey Graham or something. Um, uh -huh. Trust me, because he's another one. But we don't vote for him. They, we vote for James Tyburn, who's supposed to be looking out for us. So that's why that's why he deserves all that he, he gets. There has been there was an article published by the state, which is the newspaper published in Columbia, South Carolina, our capital, that talked about rural games, the FBI made out of it, are becoming a huge problem in southern states. South Carolina is ground zero for them. Not just that. Let's talk about land laws. The Gullah Geechee people, all this coastal ocean front land used to be ours. And one thing that pisses me off when black people say, well, we just quit to sell something. First of all, let me address that. Most of our land was not lost through us selling it. Most of our land was lost. There's a system here called heirs property. That's which right. Not a, not a deed owner. Pretty much, they're never going to be an owner. Every little family becomes an heir. No one can sell it. No one can own it. You can't get equity from it. We've had this property. My family got property from Special Food Order 16 and from the Port Royal Project, which was the first self-governing town of free black people. My family mm -hmm. had grants from them both. If the equity on that property is probably up in the millions, we should not be poor. Mm -hmm. But because of heirs' property, we don't get a dime from it. America did this because black Americans weren't allowed to read and write. We weren't even allowed in some states to consult with a lawyer. We weren't even, uh, and we were not allowed to read and write. We didn't have the money to hire a lawyer, even if we could get access to one. They made heirs' property. And because of that, we've been impoverished. In South Carolina alone, six in the six digits, thousands of thousands of beach oceanfront acre has been lost by Black Americans. In the 1950s or 60s, 50s, 50s, 
Black America own like 15 million acres of property in this country. Now it's five million. You can read any article about land loss, South Carolina is ground zero. Uh-huh. We've lost close to a million acres of beach coastal property. This is just along the coast, the Gullah Geechee, the southern parts of the state. Because of heirs property, things like partition sales. When one family member can sell their portion, it was always a crazy system, very ambiguous. Even lawyers don't want to deal with it because they can't really understand it. How are poor, uneducated Black people supposed to understand it? For all those Black bootstrappers out there, how are we supposed to understand a system that even lawyers, they don't want to deal with because it's so complicated? They, a white company, usually a white company or a rich white family, would buy a portion of a property from a family member and then it could go and outbid to some ambiguous, vague process all the other relatives. I literally know people who woke up one day and was told, get the hell off the property and couldn't afford to move their trailer. So it was thrown on the side of the streets. James Clyburn sat back and watched all this. And watched it and watched it. This is all very, this is all very familiar to me. My family is actually from South Carolina as well. My grandmother lives on Ayers property right now. She lives on a plantation with many other families, all our cousins. And we have the same exact, yeah. Everything you're saying, I'm like, yep, 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 That's how I grew up. I grew up on a property with my great-grand-aunts, great-grand-aunt there. That's right. My cousin's there, my cousin's there, great-grand-aunt there, my cousin's there, my siblings, my great-grandmother, who was not a great-grand-aunt of theirs. She was my great-grandfather's first wife. And because she was such a good woman, they they considered her an honorary aunt. But we were all cousins. My parents were there. We all own this stretch of property in the neighborhood. You've heard of Ridgeland, South Carolina, probably. Yeah, of course. So you probably know there's a, I'm not sure how familiar you are, Ridgeland, but you know um, Highway 170 that goes from Beaufort to Bluffton. Mm-hmm. You pass through that part of Ridgeland. There used to be a bear plant called Pearlstein, but the neighborhood is called Cherry Point. It's right before you get into Bluffton, the part of Ridgeland. Uh-huh. And all, all that property, that was all us. What's happening right now, but nothing in this neighborhood, in this, in this district. They widen highways under the scope of development, like what's happening right now in Charleston that's been making the news, but that's happening in Hilton Island too, that's not making the news, but they're trying to run off the last remaining Geechees from land that we developed. They widened the highway, they ran us off. Some of my cousins now, they literally have nowhere to stay. They stay with a relative here, they stay with a relative there, and sometimes that relative they will stay with has a problem place to stay. They mm. took the property that we had we're like literally homeless, okay? My cousins found, they took the money, which was by the way, less than what we were supposed to get, as is the story. Found places, lost their homes in foreclosure, but they couldn't pay the new mortgage. But they never had to worry about before we had property. So right. another issue here, land theft. Literally black people that are homeless, like they stay with aunts, but their aunt is barely making it themselves. So my families move together just to help each other keep their head above the water. But there's so much homelessness and instability here. And of course, you're going to have violence. There's a lot of gun violence here. If you look it up, like I said, those rural games, you probably know since your family is out from now, there's a lot of gun violence in these small rural towns. What else is there, really? You pretend them to poor schools. They don't have any connections, like Bluffton, South Carolina, which I know you've heard of. Bluffton, South Carolina is not one of the richest towns, right next to some of the poorest towns. That's the right. kids there, they go to school, not only do they get courses in things like rocket engineering, which while a call by down the street, we were struggling when I was in school to get a damn PE teacher, mm-hmm. a Spanish teacher. The last year before I graduated, they had to squeeze us all into some class 
to get some person to teach us Spanish so we can have the credits. They were trying to find someone. So in one school, not only are you getting more credit college-worthy courses, you're getting the connections with kids whose parents are doctors, lawyers, engineers. That doesn't exist here. Right. Not only that, there's no transportation here. If you live in a community like Pineland, which is extremely rural, you don't have a car, like a lot of families here don't, or they have one car that they're struggling to keep up, that's old and falling apart, and they don't have the money to pay for it. One thing goes wrong with that car, they can be on the street. They don't have the transportation to get to jobs, to get the job training. Then I used to teach at TCL, a community college, that everyone is saying is a more economical option. I can't tell you, I have a class start out with like 22 kids, what adults, and by the time it's graduating, it's like 11 left. They couldn't even mm. afford the tuition even after getting the Pell Grants and things like that. Sometimes I have kids in my class that couldn't afford the books. Right. And I knew the college would tell me not to do this, but hell with that, I will go and a student will say, you can take my book, because I couldn't use my book, I will print and give it to them. That's what we're going through. People, I can't stand black bootstrappers, because you're not going to tell me what I see. I see most black people, there's going to be aberrant behavior in every group and every community. But when we don't, first of all, we want to talk about aberrant behavior. We don't want to talk about the conditions that make it all too easy for that aberrant behavior to come about. We want to talk about gun violence and drugs. They don't want to talk about the impoverished, broken communities, the poor schools, the lack of connection, the low transportation, the the poor job preparatory, the lack of jobs, the lack of well-paying mm-hmm. jobs, the lack of health care, where the only promising industry some people have is the drug industry. I remember what a family member of mine told me when I was a teenager, a preteen. He's like, you know, I'm selling drugs, you know. And I was like, yeah, I saw you. He was like, well, please don't tell um, my mother. And, he, and, um, and I was like, I'm not. I was like, but why? Like, I'm just doing it so I can help out. But I'm not going to do it for long. That became his life. Right. And, that is how, and that ended his life. People want to criticize him, but they don't want to criticize the conditions that made it all too easy. You know what? As a teacher, if I have a student, and you'll be surprised, I teach elementary, middle, and high. I'm teaching elementary, fourth, and fifth, but I've taught middle school. Middle school kids are physically bigger, but they they got the body of an adult sometimes. They got the mindset of like a primary kid. I call out a middle school student trying to stick a fork in a socket, a civil fork. I said, what are you doing? But the point was, he should have known better. But if something would have happened to him, I would have been to blame. Why? Because they would have said, I mean, I I was reckless. I wasn't sure, I didn't have the class arranged. If Mm -hmm. a teacher could be held accountable for the conditions of the classroom, Mm -hmm. why can't the government be held accountable for the condition of the community, especially with the long 40 year history of Black Americans? So I know I kind of talk a lot. It's hard to articulate, but I tell you what, you can ask some of the people that follow me on Twitter who have actually come down to my community, and I will tell them, you wait till you see the homes that people live in. Right. When I used to practice a dribble witness, I would go to people's homes, and we would be like, oh, no one, some people who are new here would be like, no one could possibly live there. And we would all see little black hands stick out, never fails. A friend of mine, he's a fellow reparationist. He just moved here to New York City. He was driving through, and he was like, Cato, my my name on Twitter, Cato, man, he's like, 
I see what she was talking about, man. He was like, James Cyber should be arrested for this. He was like, in the irony, I saw Jamie Harrison side on a dilapidated house. And he said he was taking pictures of it. He thought somebody was living there. And a guy came out and said, what are you taking pictures of my, my, my home for? He's like, right. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to write about it. And the guy kind of understood. He's like, well, next time we just ask, because people get suspicious around here. And they see people they don't know, obviously. I thought about doing something like that. But that will only embarrass my people who live here. That's right. Taking pictures of their living conditions like they did something wrong. Right. Even if I meant to show what is existing here, it would shame them. Okay? I'm not going to shame them. I want to shame the politicians mm. that failed them, starting with the one that I'm going to replace. Listen, <laughs> and he needs to be replaced based on what you just said because it's, it's really, does. really... It's it's he should be ashamed, frankly, um, just based on what I know about the situation. And uh, how do you go to bed at night? How do you wake up? How do you become so disconnected? Hmm. And you're living in a community with the same level of poverty. How do you live like some prince among the poverty? Like, how do you do this? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Join us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Reset Race Network. So you mentioned a few things um, and that you are uh, in support of universal policies, although reparations is a focal point of your campaign and definitely wanting to emphasize your distinction that um, the, the issue with a lot of folks with reparations as it relates to, to universal policies is that often people who are for these universal or class-based policies want to say, okay, that takes care of reparations, so we're all good. And so just I want to draw that distinction again. You drew it earlier in the discussion, and I want to hit that home again. But can you share some of the other issues that you're excited about for potential voters? You talked about the need for universal health care. What are some other things uh, in terms of your your platform that you want people to know about that that aren't related to reparations? Well, I, I'm going to address reparations as well because I have a reparations package. Because we say reparations, people are like, oh, what's reparations? reparations? For some people, it's a check. For some people, it's free. Right, right. You no, got to no, define no, it. No, 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 sucker. I'm about to say, I'm sorry about that. I'm trying to keep PG. No, 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 God, no, God damn it. It's all the above. Okay? It's all the above, right? That's where I'm at. But I want to say something. I was on a show with um the left, um the left, um I forgot the name. Uh, the Fred Hampton leftists. Yeah. And, um, had a falling out with them. Unfortunately, the interview went well. Um and everything. But later on, we had like a Twitter fallout. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure they're the ones that I got responsible for whatever oh, happened wow. to my other thing. But um, and it was because. Well, and they'll do reparations, by the way. They'll do reparations. But on my thread, when I posted my interview, they were getting into it with people from different, like, it was like some friction between them from other channels. And mm-hmm. the people were accusing them of, like, selling Black people out, Black American freedmen out for universal policies. And the thing that 
started the fallout with between them and I, I'm not gonna badmouth them, was that someone who supports the ideology shows a graphic of a white man, a black man, like fighting. And then on the other side of that image, it showed that white man and that black man like pulling apart capitalism okay. and then hugging each other like like others. I was like, so I asked one of them, I was like, so this is what y'all represent? And they were like, what's wrong with this image? I was like, well, one, this image is making it seem like there's some equal equality among Black Americans and white Americans. As if we've done something wrong to white Americans and they've done something wrong to us, so we're fighting because we both did something wrong and now we're going to hug and we write capitalism as an enemy. I said, Black Americans, I said, don't ask the Black American man why he's fighting back. Ask the white American man why he's fighting the Black man. Because that's uh -huh. what it's been in America. Okay, this ain't been no equal struggle. This has been Black Americans wanting to get what we are goddamn do and being unapologetic about it. And white people, and when I say white people, I'm not saying all, but I'm saying a hell of a lot. Because even if you're not the white person that was hanging black people from trees, you were the white person who was sitting there letting it happen. If you want the white person to say, oh, hell nah, uh-uh, then you are the person who was hanging that person from a tree. Either you're going to be you can't be neutral. You can't be like, well, I saw it. It was bad, but no. Either you were trying to stop it or you were just as good as well doing it. I said that part. And then I said, we want to hug him. Where the justice at in this? Okay, we destroyed capitalism. Hooray! Under any system. I said, look at Cuba, a socialist country. Yes, different from the United States of America, but let's just look at them. They have universal health care. They have a life expectancy longer than ours. They have literature retired in hours. And yet, under the Cuban system, it is well documented that Black Cubans, under a socialist regime, suffer severe racial disparities. So mm. even if we, we tore down capitalism, it's been shown in America, Black Americans want to suffer under any type of regime until mm. we get what we're due. So mm. before we want to hug and sing what I call the kumbaya, Kumbaya, as you know, is a gullah word. Come to these, come there, come together, come over here. But no, some of them want to do the kumbaya. No, I don't do kumbaya politics. Before we gonna hug and kiss, you will get my goddamn justice, okay? So to that point, and they were letting like our white ally. I'm like, hey, you gonna be a white ally? Well, by the way, I use that word very cautiously. I have a white lady who's helping me with my website. Be honest with you. She and I don't agree politically on quite a few things, reparations, yes, but she's more of the, the leftist type. But yeah. she has stuck with me in this reparations. I've had reparationists who on Twitter are they on cold, but really some of them are more in their feelings, mm. okay, are set in their ways. This white lady has stuck with me, even though I oppose things like this is another topic, abortion, something that she's very passionate about. But she's, she's still stuck with me, designed my website. That's like an example of when you're on code. You put the mission of what you're trying to achieve first. It's little personal difference, stuff like that. If you're not raping, killing, stealing, murdering, we can work the personal difference, but you keep the code first. So to that point, reparations, because I have to address, I have to flesh out what's in my platform. My platform, though, is a reparations package. I use package because reparations is not just one thing. That's why it's plural, reparations. Uh -huh. 
for me, reparations includes, and I'm just going to go through it very quickly, the reinstant the reinstallation of the Freedmen's Bureau. The Freedmen's Bureau will have the responsibility of aggressively addressing all racial disparities between Native Black Americans and white Americans in this country. That's in medical, for example, Black women dying five times the rate of white women when it comes to giving childbirth, mm. mortality rates higher than some women in the Philippines and Mexico, that should never happen. The lack of representation among Black Americans who are qualified, who are the inventors of these fields, like this tech, people want to talk about tech entrepreneurs and Apple, those fields do not exist, they're not for Native Black Americans. Look up people like Marianne, um, Marianne Kroper, who invented the voice over internet protocol that we're using right now, a Black American Freeman woman. Look mm. up Dr. Clarence Ellis, who invented the point and click system where you take an arrow, click on something, open an application. That's why we don't need no coding to open up Zoom. Mm. If one of Black, Native Black America, these, some of these fields not exist, but they're discriminated against us. Land. I'm going to deal with heirs' property. But for once and for all, we're going to reform the heirs' property system, get rid of it, where the Freedmen's Bureau on the government's check is going to come up with a system to provide the legal resources to find the heirs to give each heir a proportion of the property. They get full equity of the full property. And if yes. the property is not wide enough for an heir to get a portion of the property, we give them a property of equal value, full equity in that neighboring state, most mainly the southern states. Also, of course, it's going to be a minimum of that direct monetary payments of $800,000 minimum, but it's going up. You should have America to pay. It's going up to close the wealth gap. They send anti-Black racism and government sanction has cost America like around $16 trillion. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we're going to get enough money to close that gap. Okay, first and foremost. Then, Native Americans have reservations. Native Black Americans help build this entire country, but the federal government that is always entire country discriminated, terrorized us, and allowed it to happen. It's only fair that in each of the 50 states, the federal government will take land and give it to Native Black Americans, where we will have our own post offices, our own hospitals, our own banks. And if a Native Black American or Freeman family wants to settle there, we can do it. Okay? We will have our, we'll be like our own government under the government, like Native Americans have. Tax exempt status, debt cancellation. Okay? Mm. Those are just some of the things. Lineage therapy. Black Americans are the most likely to suffer Is that a surprise? Funny though, we're the least likely to act out because of ain't going mass shooting. But let's talk about mm. that another time. <laughs> we're going to get into that topic. All these things provided in my reparations package. There is more, but that's just a gist of it. Now, pause I have outside of reparations. There are some people, Black people, who think that when you say rural America, you think white America. That's because how the media makes it seem. Well, there are at least 10 to 15% of Black Americans that live in rural areas. My area, my district is 60% Black, and it's 90% rural. I know how it feels to be watching a politician speak, and they act like only inner cities in the suburbs exist. I even love Black Americans. When I hear us speak, 
we had like every black person living in Philadelphia, DC, Chicago, and New York. I'm like, what about us in the South? What about us? In the we all live in the South. Like, seriously, like, isn't it like 60% of black Americans live in the South? Us, right. And in the small towns, like when I have meeting with the reparations, I'm like, is anybody here from a small town? I can tell you, often I'm the only one. Some may be from small town, but they moved to an urban area. I'm like, still born and bred in a deep south small town, mm-hmm. backwater, swampy town, and I'm going to be proud of it. I have, we treat healthcare as a right. Quality public education is a right. Public safety is a right. Access to the internet and a telephone, to me, is a goddamn right. Right. There's another area that we don't view as a right, but I do. Transportation. When you've grown up in a rural area like mine, and I've lived it, and you don't have a car, you are literally in poverty. When I had a job at Ted Island working at a hospital, I had to, my mother and I, sometimes my older brother, my oldest, my, one of my brothers would do it, sometimes a friend. I, had, I can't tell you the anxiety I had trying to find a ride to work. There were people I knew who lost their job because they couldn't get a ride to work. So they got a ride but because they couldn't get the ride enough gas money or the number, the amount of gas money they wanted. The ride was short, but late on purpose and they got fired. And they will be at the mercy of other people. Some of them had no one with whom to go to. Some had to move back to New York City when they want to stay in the South, for example. Transportation is a necessity. I had a teacher who died once from a heart attack because, check this out, this fly am passionate about healthcare too. She was afraid of calling an ambulance, but she was afraid of paying the bill. Of the bill. But she nor her husband drove anymore because their eyesight. So they had to call their daughter-in-law to come in and take them. And the daughter-in-law, she was like, because this was a lady who always wanted to go to the doctor. The daughter-in-law, oh, my mother-in-law just act a fool again. So the dog question was taking her, but she was too late in a fourth street. Her mother-in-law died in transit hospital because they lived so far from the hospital, like a lot of people in rural areas do. I have a plan to make owning a reliable quality vehicle a right. Okay? If we can give these billionaires and these large owners of corporations, and I don't mean to sound like Bernie Sanders, and I have many problems with him too, but he is right when he say this, if we give them trillions of dollars when they are the ones that crash the economy time and time again, or as we saw at COVID, they had a surplus of profits and they spent most of their money in stock buybacks. So because mm. they wasted that money, they get to get bailed out. While we just got, what, a few little $1,200 checks, they got trillions of dollars and their family were rich already. Mm-hmm. But when a black person buys a new pair of shoes, and people say, well, aren't you poor? What you buying new shoes for? We want to criticize them. But trillionaires who crash the economy get to stay rich because they're too big to fail. We can make sure Americans have a reliable vehicle in the rural areas. So I have a plan that will provide for qualifying Americans. I will discuss the qualifications with the Department of Transportation, the Department of Labor. Okay. I am open to considering the qualifications, but the thing is, it's going to be the qualifications and they're not going to be so rigid that no one's going to qualify. That's going to provide qualified Americans with at least two to $3,000 in down payment. I had a cousin who was looking for a car. She had a job, had it for a while. But because of her credit, not because she had bad credit, she didn't have any, 
They wanted to pay the ridiculous high amount of down payment. She could afford a car that one of the people couldn't afford a down payment. And she struggled to get to work, provide for her child. That should not happen. We, should, we are going to cover the down payment, and we're going to cover the first three months of car payments to give these families a cushion. Also, once you get a car, is one thing. But then, once you have to maintain the car, that's another. Axles, tires, things of that nature, alternators, starters. I had to recently get some work done in my car, and I work full time. And I had to say, I got to take the alternator back. I couldn't afford it right now. Things like that. Well, I'm like, what about people who would never be able to afford it, even if they did save up? We don't have money to save. Mm -hmm. We will also provide for qualifying Americans, uh, uh, like we have food assistance, vehicle assistance to cover mm -hmm. wear and tear on vehicles. I would like to do that through partnering with businesses, like those mm -hmm. crazy warranty people that stay calling you, give them something to do so they can stop calling people already and lying about warranties. Help them provide them with subsidies to cover qualified Americans' vehicles, so people mm -hmm. don't have that anxiety. Oh my God, I this has happened to some of my students' families. Flat tire, car on the side of the road, kids can't get to school. Mm -hmm. A flat tire should not be a make or break for a family. That's right. Okay. Another thing that I'm going to do: if a family has a vehicle that's become so old and it needs so much work, that family should automatically qualify for that down payment and those three months assistance and for the wear and tear assistance. Transportation is a right, okay? I feel like my plan may not be going far enough, but I know it's a hell of a lot more than what people have now. That's Another right. thing that I'm doing, people say abolish the police. This may be controversial again, but to me, a lot of things people say controversial, not to me. I don't like the phrase abolish the police, but you know what? Hell with the phrase. I don't like the reality that we've had to face that has led to people saying abolish the police. Let's focus more on that. Obama, Mr. I would have done reparations, but I was too afraid to do it. Shut the hell up, okay? Shut the hell up. You ain't had nothing to say to help Black Americans out besides saying and stereotypical anti-Black Americanness, like okay. your parents and take care of your children. Man, you need to shut the hell up. You need to really shut the hell up. I, I, I find you like I found Ian Schneiderberg because you're another one I've been looking at in the, in the front front. And you ain't ready for me, brother. You can't talk the way I mean. I feel we need to do a public safety approach. A public safety approach. We need to stop looking at police. We need to stop viewing themselves as, and we need to stop viewing police as, call and address. Because all that does is give racist white people the thought process, oh, look at this black man here. Let me call the police. You know, the slaves catch a legacy. Uh-huh. Uh -uh. Public, um, public safety. There is a model of policing that's been shown to work in majority black areas too, where there is a reason to be suspicious of the police. And I understand it's a police brutality. My brother had police officers shoot 79 bullets in his car. Not one hit What? Him. Right. Because they said he was trying to pull, that he was trying to run them over. This Now, when have you ever heard about a black man being accused of trying to murder the police and being found not guilty? He was found not guilty because it was a damn lie. But they shot at him 79 times. Then they had the audacity to have his car towed back to him. He was like, well, I'm going to get my car back with all the bullet holes still in it. Stop. They never apologized for it. 
the officers never apologized for it. And not saying my brother's a saint, none of us are, but you tried to murder someone, okay? Yep. That's not, you don't have the authority to do that. You tried to murder someone and you tried to cover the lie. Why they aren't in jail is because of this. One, my public safety plan. There's a constitutional limit on police force, believe it or not. It is in the Constitution. It says that they are not allowed to deprive a person, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, of their right to life, liberty, and rights and things of that nature. But it says knowingly. And that's how a lot of police officers get off because they don't they, they that. I didn't know I was doing a game. My public safety plan is to change knowingly to recklessly. You didn't know you should. Okay. We can okay. arrest people for reckless driving, can't we? I mean, I'm sure a person driving recklessly didn't mean to run over somebody, but they were driving recklessly. There is an offense for driving called reckless driving. Right. Why can't there be reckless police? And I'm sorry, I am not one of those people who feel that you get rid of all police, everything will be fine. No, there are times police officers need it. But my thing is this, police officers have the responsibility to uphold the law. If you have the authority that if necessary to take someone's life, you should be begging to be held accountable to the highest level possible. Uh-huh. If you have the authority to take someone's life and you get a goddamn attitude when people say, when people scrutinize why you did it, you don't need a badge and gun, okay? I'm a teacher. And we get more scrutiny than police officers. I tell you that damn much. We get blamed for things that no one blames police officers in the bad neighborhoods, but they will sure blame teachers for it. We'll get the kids from the bad neighborhoods, quote unquote, and they'll say, why are the kids that score so low? Why are the kids this? Why are their parents, why are their family struggling? And then somehow that becomes a teacher's responsibility. We, but if you have the authority to kill someone, if necessary, you should be wanting to be held accountable. So that being said, Community policing has been shown, and I, I study black communities, and that's what a lot of studies have been done. This is one of the few studies where they've done it in a lot of black neighborhoods, urban, not rural, but urban. Community policing is where it's a group of police officers. They don't patrol. They don't even address the violent crime. They are almost like slash police social workers. They partner with people in the community. In fact, they let people in the community take the lead. They help people in the community get the resources to address the poverty, the the the, the lapidated neighborhoods, the failing schools, the lack of employment. It's almost like they become social workers. Yes, they're still police officers, and they still carry a gun in case something violent does happen. But if something violent happens, they call the patrol team. And even with the patrol team, the patrol team is usually going to be the same officers who only will patrol the areas that are the most troubled. Because there's a thing called deterrence, okay? Even if it's in the worst neighborhood, if a police, if you identify the neighborhoods that have the most crime, those are neighborhoods that the community police officers work with the most, but the officers who are like the ones that are usually called in to address the more um, pressing areas, they uh-huh. will patrol those ones. Sometimes just the presence of a police officer that people know and that they don't respect them discourages crime. My public safety plan also, because I look, I have no political team. I promise you, I've done all this studying on my own. And if I had people to speak for me, I wouldn't have to say so much now. But 
I don't have the assets, James Cyber, and all the math. So when I get right. things like this, I have to really let people know about me. There are things that lead to problems you don't always consider. Not having public spaces. There's, a, there's several studies that show communities with parks and green, open green space where people can gather uh -huh. and their places are clean and well-maintained. Uh -huh. And facilities like tennis courts and basketball courts are there. And there is like a presence of a those that people know and trust. Crime usually goes down. Adequate street lighting in uh -huh. areas where it's dark at night or there's no street lighting, they say that tends to give you the idea of being able to conceal their crime. When there's adequate street lighting, it encourages people to still be active even at night to have communication with each other. Of course, transportation. When people are able to get around more, it gives you more access, different opportunities, more social outings and things like that. Another thing, I really am not wait until the gun debate, so to speak, but I do feel that there should be mandatory background checks for all gun transactions. Because there's a study found, I think it was in Chicago, 69% of guns are ones that are sold not through usually the stores, but usually from, I don't know what they call them, personal sales that you don't have to do the background check. Yeah, or like gun shows. Right. There needs to be background checks. Gun owners need to be registered. So your gun code is tied to you. Okay. Also, there needs to be safe gun technology where the gun only works for you or users you have authorized. Uh -huh. So people often think, well, what if somebody is attacking me and a, a stranger comes and sees my gun before and shoots the person? That almost never happens. What happens more than likely, people have often taken to other people's gun and use it against them. Okay. Another thing that needs to happen, this is about public safety. Economy is a part of public safety. You want to fight crime, fight poverty. There needs to be a living wage. I don't really believe in a flat living wage because okay. $25 per hour here in my town might be barely, or might be okay. But if you're living in downtown New York City, that ain't almost, that's almost nothing. I believe a living wage should correspond to the state where people are living. Because if not, we will never have a true idea of poverty. And that's another part of my public safety plan. Let's truly examine poverty. Uh -huh. Right now, America tricks us. The poverty rate is based on people, which is really low. A person, a, per a family of one, you have to make like less than $11,000 be considered poor in America. Which really? is insane, because that is and well below what's needed. And if you make over $11,000, you're not considered in poverty. Now check this out. If a person in South Carolina makes $30,000, you still won't struggle. But if a person in California makes $30,000, that's still poverty wages for them in that state. We need to get a true understanding of poverty, not playing this whole game America plays with trying to obscure the real data. Okay? Um, I also have um, quality child care. A lot of crime happens when children, especially teenagers, are unsupervised. My brothers and my sister, my mother, we had our great, we had our grandmother, and when she died, my great grandmother was there, but then we had our great grandmother. We were never not 
supervise, okay? Same thing with my cousins. But that's when black people had communities with gentrification and landlords and just people moving away to try to find better opportunities. The community has fallen apart. I wanted to get our community back and I have a plan for that too. But quality childcare should be available to all people. When you have quality childcare, the level of crime drops. Also, a four-day work week. So parents can actually be home with right. their damn kids and spend time in the community and get to know their neighbors and not just be, when they get home, they're just snapping on their kids and they're stressed out tired as hell. They're like, I've had parents say, you know what? I know my child is acting up. I know they should have been reading on a sixth grade level. I mean, a, 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 a sixth grade level, but they were reading on a second there in sixth grade. But I am just tired. I can't do anymore. I get home and all I have time for is to sleep. People are, our people are working, are living to work if they're just working to live. And it should not be that way. So those are some aspects of my public safety plan. Now, I also have a plan. You say I probably be saying this. Hell, I'm not nothing high. One thing about me, if people don't like me, at least they're going to be able to say he keeps it, he's honest with us. I have a plan called Black Statehood. Because really now, Black Americans are stateless. We own less land than we did during the days of Jim Crow and redlining. Less land, mm. less homes. Wow. My plan is for heirs property to help us get back to the states where we were once the majority, or just one or two percentage points away from being the majority. Some of those states are Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, Maryland, which is a relatively new phenomenon, but Maryland, Virginia. Florida was one of those states where Florida's demographics shifted so much. No. And I think with heirs' property, it would give us a state. That's why I call it black statehood. Huh. You will have land. We have, like right now, you probably heard of Okatee, something like Bluffton. My family owns yeah. 20 acres of property in that area, one of the wealthiest areas in, in, in South Carolina. 22 acres, but it's heirs' property. I, in another life where we had equity, I would have been a rich person just because of the land alone, like a lot of white Americans are. But because of heirs' property, I know. Imagine how many other black fans have the same story as I. Uh-huh. And by the way, I'm not just going to deal with heirs' property that people have now, I'm going to deal with heirs' property that people have lost or was stolen from them. That would give us as Black Americans land and will have equity. That would give us, in a sense, the special order 15 that we should have had a long time ago. Wow. That would back to our ancestral homeland, the South, and then give us the numbers in these targeted states to get the governorship, to take all these offices. But only Black people are on coal. Being Black is just not enough. I hate it when this election was happening, they would send Joe Biden to pick a Black woman. First of all, he's a Ku Klux Klan member, as far as I'm concerned. Okay? That's what the hell I consider. If he doesn't like it, come for me. Come for me. I want him, if he get, I want you to invite me on. Come for me. He's a Ku Klux Klan member. So whatever Black person he picks, I'll trust him. Like, I would trust that Samuel Jackson character from John Go Unchained, okay? Um, but my thing is, not if I get a black woman in the Supreme Court, okay, yeah, black is cool, but what's your policies gonna be? I want mm-hmm. a black person on coal. We already got too many black people on cooling, okay? Uh-huh. 
So that's really the gist of my platform. But I got more. I don't want to leave white people out. But you know, white Americans often feel like, well, what about us? The white thinks about us because you know they're just all the attention we've got for 400 years. The no nigger signs and the lynch malls, burning down towns—they they, they just have all that uh, that attention we've gotten. So I got something for white people too. I am going to do a commission if I get elected to okay. study the white male crisis because there is a white male crisis indeed. Yeah, in South and throughout the country, but this is white people. I'm gonna talk to them like they talk to us about the Democrats. This is their damn fault. Y'all want to vote politicians who just want to give you good rights and tell you where the Confederate flag. And be racist. That's all someone want to vote for. All you gotta do, Lyndon B. Johnson said it. He's come to the conclusion that all you gotta do is let a poor white man know that he's better than the best colored man, mm-hmm. or give the white man someone to look down on, and he won't know you if his pocket. And then let me wow. say, well, hell, you give him a, a, a the best colored man to look down upon, and he'll empty his pockets for you. That was in 1960s. That's still true. But some white people, all they want to vote for are people who are racist, especially against black Americans, Confederate flag loving, and gun for gun ownership. Yet the data is showing that white people are declining. Their population is declining. People are talking about black American population declining because violence, drugs, gas conservation. No, it ain't happening. The black American population, in spite of not having the levels of immigration, we can argue about Afro-Latinos and Natives because they don't like themselves black. We'll talk about that some other time. But the black American population still increased by almost 100% from 2020. Uh-huh. Okay? The black American women still almost have around 600,000 kids per year. Okay. Okay? The white American population is declining. Not just the white American women are not having as many children anymore. But because what with with sociologists came with a new term, they call it death of despairs, death from alcoholism, suicide, and drug overdose. The Republicans, have they said anything about it? Nope. Have Democrats said anything about it? Nope. No. Marcel's talking about it, white people, white men. So I'm actually going to be the first person I do anything for y'all. Besides, be, be, you know, I'm not going to be racist. I'm not going to convert flag. I mean, I'm a gun owner. You got to worry about that. So I, that's what I'm gonna do for white people. Okay, everybody okay. wins. I've actually, and you know what? <clears throat> that was very thorough. And there's a lot of things that you talked about that, like you, that would be for everyone anyway, like the transportation piece, the public spaces piece. That would be something that's for everyone as everyone. well. Right, reparations for everyone. May I read some to you from my website? Yes, please. Um, it, and this is what I said right here on my platform. Or we deserve better. The first thing I have on here is a better deal for Black America. Really, we never had no deal. We were never even allowed to agree or disagree. But a better deal for Black America, and I say it right here. According to one study, anti-Black racism has cost the United States $16 trillion, at least. It goes without saying a thriving Black America is a thriving America. That's it's right. the model of my campaign. Repair Black America to fix America. So anyone out there who thinks that, any white person, anyone, even another dumb behind Black person, or anyone who thinks that reparations is just going to help Black people, no, it will help you. Because mm-hmm. unlike y'all, when America's doing good, y'all do good. 
when black America's doing good, everyone does good. See what I did there? When America's doing good, black America has usually still suffered, even though we're the reason it was doing good in the first place. But when mm-hmm. black America does good, it has never failed that everyone does good. This country was built on our backs, we still hold it up. I cannot disagree with you on any of that. That's absolutely true. You said something earlier, and so I think it has to be said because his name has come up a couple of times. Got to talk about Jim Clyburn. As you mentioned, he's a third ranking Democrat in the House. That's a very powerful position. He's held that seat since what, 93? He's been in there a long, long time. What 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 would you say? What's let's say what's your edge and why should people consider you a good alternative, especially people who have just been voting for him? I think about some of the some of our elders in the community, some of the older folks that are not quite elders because they haven't borne it out, as you mentioned. How how can you flip them to help them understand why you're a better candidate than Clyburn? Well, the reason people should vote for me as opposed to James Clyburn is because number one, I care. I care. Like I was saying to you, even as a child, I went to bed upset about the inequality. Like I said, maybe because my mother kept us informed about my culture, our heritage, our history, and I could easily see how it was now. When I went traveling, I was like, well, look, we I seen scenes of this right back home. I carried my people with me everywhere I went. As a witness, the thing that made me not practice it was, and I loved it. I mean, I love the, the people are beautiful. They don't get involved in politics. They don't believe that people should be have things imposed on them. They it should reach their heart and move them to do it. That's really, you know, that's really, they're, like, they're not going to try to run for office to, to ban this or to make a law, everybody do this. They feel like, no, that's not how it should be. People should have to have the right to use their God-given right to make a decision for themselves. Um, was because I could not stay neutral. The love and care and passion for my people is what made me an award-winning teacher. I was like, I was going to show these people. And I looked at the data and some of the other classes, there was always the Black American students, especially the boys, way down to the bottom with me. They were right up there at the top. Now that I was going to show these people, first of all, I used to tell my students, because my black students, we don't got nothing to prove. We already done proved over and over and over again that we are intelligent, okay? We are beautiful, okay? The most beautiful people, talented people, industrious people, resourceful people. And this where I say, ain't no other group go through what we've been through and still be here and look good about it and innovate and have the world following our trends. No other group. However, I said I was going to prove to these people who like to make fun of the area where I'm from. That's why I always stay teaching the area where I'm from. A majority black area, black and poor, that these kids cannot just do the same as what your kids do. They can do a hell of a lot more because they do a hell of a lot. When they do the same as what your kids do, they go through a hell of a lot more to do it. If my kids are getting 76 and 82% met or exceed on their reading and social studies test, I teach mainly reading and social studies, they came from homes where they probably didn't get a good night's meal, where they probably didn't even sleep in a bed. They probably had to share a bed with their mother. Or they probably had to move because a lot of kids, 
staying with this cousin, staying with this relative, staying with this relative, or this relative staying with them. Their lives are just that unstable. Somebody was probably fighting last night. They probably haven't eaten, or they haven't heard their mother saying, oh, God, I only have $5 of my account, and the light bill is due today, and they won't work with me, and it's $300. They come to school in survival mode. And yet, for them to still have the discipline to do well enough to get 76, 82% meat or exceeding, and they didn't have the pampering environment of indulgence that the kids in the very affluent districts next to us do, that shows something. So I care. I care about who was viewing my people, not because I felt that their appearance of us was important, because you weren't going to be, you weren't going to be talking about my people in no kind of way. And I advocated for my students. If anybody wants to challenge me on that, I have emails. I have, uh, I guess people calling themselves reprimanding me for being too forceful to show it. Oh, wow. Okay? I care. Not only that, I am living, I have lived, and I'm still living what most people in my district are going through. On my vial that's going to be on my website, I talk about how I grew up in a loving, a large, loving, immediate and extended family. But there was also a lot of pain. I talk about how my father grew up in heartbreaking poverty mm. because his mother became hooked on drugs that the CIA and the government helped put in black neighborhood, as we know. And I don't know what happened to my great-grandparents on his side. He doesn't know what happened to me. We just know they were dead when he was born. So he was raised by my great-great-grandparents, his great-grandparents, who were born in the late 1800s, early. One was born in the late 1800s, early 1900s. They didn't know what to do with a kid of the new generation. Mm. They lived life as an agrarian culture, which is going to give you people work. They really, they didn't have a car, didn't have television, didn't have phone, didn't have air conditioning. And you know South Carolina. You know it's hot and you're at 90 degrees it's half the year. My father's loneliness from not having a parent, not that my great-grandparents didn't love him, my great-great-grandparents did not love him, I'm sure they did, but they didn't know how to connect with him. They're from the generation where you just would buy for a child, make sure they go to school and get their lesson, how old people always would say it. And that was it. They never took him anywhere. They never dated with him because they, that was just not how they raised, they were raised kids like, we provide for you. And he grew up lonely. He even said that he used to ride the bus. We the last person to get off the bus. And we lived right at the end of Richmond, going to Buffton. He said they used to take him to Kalawasiala and make him fight these white kids. And he said no one came to school to ever look out for him. So even though I still have issues with trying to forgive my father for now being there for me, he did the same thing to me. When I was being called um, ag and all that stuff in middle school and being bullied, and it, it, I told them this is what broke my spirit as a child. And my mother came to the school to stand up for me. And I look around like, where was he? And then he had the nerve the next day to say, well, they do that to you because you act like it. Nobody else around here act the way you act. So now I understand where it came from. He just didn't know how to connect with a child because he didn't have it. But not just that, the poverty. My mother said, um, he didn't have the latest, and he would be embarrassed by the clothes he wore to school and stuff. My mother, though, some people let that experience harden them, like mm-hmm. father did, but he's working on it now, finally. Some let it soften, and that's my mother. My mother's 
father, my grandfather, died from a heroin overdose during the original heroin wave that was really linked to the CIA when they was working with these warlords to try to stop communism spreading. So they gave the warlords airplanes and stuff. They tried, they, now the CIA investigated themselves and that never happened. But several reporters provided actual documentation and several interviews with actual members of the military and the CIA said it did. Well, Miles Heron got from Dan, Indonesia to, to, to Harlem. And my grandfather, my mother's father died one of those. And my mother, for the last marriage had my father was playing with her in the hallway. It bothered her, even though she had my grandfather, Chama, who was like a father figure to her. She, mm-hmm. It always bothered my mother say, still to this day, my mother still cries over not having her father. But then, that a year before then, my grandmother, my mother's mother, having a rough pregnancy. Black women mortality rates didn't just start now. Medical apartheid was happening then. They gave my grandmother bad blood transfusion. She had a bad reaction. Damaged her kidneys and liver forever. Now, she will live until 1993. She died four days after my ninth birthday from those same complications. So the way I see it, I get emotional. This country murdered my mother's mother, my mother's parents. That's how I see it. Okay? They took my father's childhood. So I, my parents grew up with this family. You know, one of their marriage was always right for conflict. They were both right. broken people. But my mother did have a loving family. My father didn't. He always said my mother saved them because she gave him his first loving family when they met as teenagers. They were high school sweethearts. Stayed married for 18 years. But my great-grandmother, my nana, born in 1914, born into Jim Crow, and you know South Carolina Jim Crow. That's right. Um, born on a farm, did the Great Migration. She knew poverty. She was raised by her grandparents. I don't know what it was my family. A lot of them born then. Their parents or whatever were gone. She was raised by her grandparents. Her, she hated my great, great, great grandfather because her parents were deceased. We don't know what happened to her. They claimed the mother died during childbirth. Father, we don't know. She don't know either, but she said her mother came her in a dream and apologized for not being there for her. Just show that this trauma that Black Americans have, we normalize it. We've been through a hell of a lot in this country. That's right. She used to hate her grandfather, my great, great, great grandfather, because he was so mean and angry. But I found out he was formerly enslaved. I found out he was born in 1838. And he was formerly enslaved. So who knows what that man saw and went through? That's right. That traumatized him and embittered him. So my grandma said, right? Nana always said he was so mean and angry all the time. I'm like, who knows what that man of saw? Of course he was. <laughs> right. And um, so I've been through, I've seen domestic violence. I've seen, I've gone to the failing schools, some of the worst, probably one of the worst in the nations. Not because the teachers were bad, because the conditions that they were forced to have to teach within were bad. Uh-huh. I've seen what drug, my father was hooked on drugs and went to rehabilitation. I remember my mother taking us to Bethlehem when we were little kids. I've seen that. I've seen domestic violence. I've seen gun violence. My uncle was murdered by gun violence. My brother was shot. He was a teenager due to gun violence. I had a cousin who's was in football career. In fact, he's writing newspapers. He wasn't, he didn't make it to newspapers and it's kind of when I would happen. Was ruined because of gun violence. I've lived poverty. I've had relatives who used the restroom in a bucket 
because they couldn't afford a house. And they was worried when the people was going to come and tell them, this house is going to be condemned. You cannot right. stay here. I've lived it, and I'm still living it. James Clyburn, I don't know his history, probably once upon a time did, but he, if he had, if he ever did, I don't think he ever did, by the way, because I've read his history and I've never heard anything about these things, but maybe he did, but he hasn't for so, if he had, there's even more shame on him for forgetting about it. Because uh -huh. if he's lived it, he would know the desire to end it. So I would tell anyone who is confused about both James Clyburn and I, you want someone who has been through the storm and he's yeah. still in the rain, but he has an umbrella and he's telling you to come on his umbrella because the sun's going to shine again. Uh -huh. People who say you're inexperienced, though, you don't have experience. I say to them, we are the sixth poorest district in the country. Black Americans, before COVID hit, were about to have zero wealth 2053. We might be there now. Right. We are $4,000 in wealth for the average Black American. $4,000 for a Black woman is sometimes in the negatives. In some areas, it's double digits. It's $25. So for those people to my experience, what good all these experiences than Black Americans? Uh. Still got police killing us on camera. We still die at higher rates from just the kind of things like a cold or flu where uh. a poor white person go in and not die from it. We still got the fact that a poor white person who's dropped out of school has more wealth than a black person who's employed full-time, college, educated, no criminal record. Uh -huh. We still got the fact that a white man with a criminal record, just a high school education, is still more likely to be employed than a black man with no criminal record, college education, That's or right. no education. So for all black people to talk about experience, what does experience done us, huh? Asians just got their COVID-19 veil. I've read the print. They don't say Black Americans nowhere in there. All the people of color talk disappear. Now they can say Asians. They, we can't ever say Black Americans. We got to say people of color. But Asians so can't even say Asians. Huh? LGBTQ people got the gay marriage, and now they're saying that's why they deserve reparations. Illegal immigrants who are not even citizens are getting luxurious hotel rooms provided for them making sure they get fed three times a day and they're treated well in facilities. Those same politicians with all the experience are going to immigration detention facilities, making all this noise how those the legal immigrant children are being treated. But they're not worried about how the black children in South Carolina who mm. are sleeping in the back seat of a car, sleeping on the street, or having to steal food from school because they want to have something to eat. What about how those children are being treated? What about mm. the school they go to? What about the home where they live? So for all you black people want to talk about experience, experience has gotten us to be in the sixth poorest district out of 435 in the United States of America. You want experience or you want results? Because uh -oh. damn it, you can get results. Listen, I... <laughs> <laughs> that is quite no you you just said a whole lot there and, and it's, it's really hard to argue with given all the stats that you shared and you're right it's like he's he's had experience he's been there for 30 some years and and look where we are so maybe it's time to right. start something new do something different and for the um, older people i'll convince them it's easy i went to school with your grandchildren yep. and a lot of my former classmates are dead wow I went to school with grandchildren. Some of them went off to college, did what they were supposed to do, stayed out of trouble, mm. didn't have a family. 
and they're right back here, and there is nothing wrong with working at McDonald's Burger King. But what I'm saying, if they used to say, you're going to be flipping burgers your whole life, as if there was something wrong with that, and now some of these same college-educated black grads are doing just that. Wow. I teach some of their children, and I paid for some of their children to go on field trips out of my money. Uh-huh. So look at the lives of your grandchildren. People want to talk about, like, one guy said, well, James Clyburn, he was out there marching. So was my great-grandmother. My grandmother used to take my mother Michael Max rallies. They were marching so we wouldn't get ran over anymore. Uh-huh. Okay? They weren't marching, but to still be marching. Right. They were marching so all these issues we're going through right now will be done with. Police brutality, poverty, fight reparations. They were marching for these things that have happened already. They were marching and fighting for the right to vote to get candidates in office who are going to provide for their people like white people are being provided for. If we are the lowest group, Black Americans have the least amount of wealth, lowest on rates of home ownership, lowest rates of land ownership, most likely to be unemployed, most likely to be jailed, most likely victims of gun violence, most likely to attend poor schools, most mm. likely to have the least access to college ed- college preparatory courses. Is this, you know, is this what our grandparents march for? My grandmother would roll in her damn grave if I said that about her. Mm. They were, if my grandmother was here right now, she died in 2015 at the age of 101. 101. I was around her my entire life. I knew exactly what she wanted for us. And she knew we hadn't gotten it yet. Right. Okay? She was a woman who saw the poverty of Jim Crow, redlining, no voting access, lynch moms. And even so, her life, her wealth increased drastically from where she came now. But she knew that we were not seeing that same drastic improvements that she had seen. She knew it was going to be a continuum of progress. She knew that, okay, we still marching. We still we still trying to get Black people to get the same wealth that she had a long time ago. We still trying not to get police reality. We still trying to have our people die and get treated. She never went to the doctor until later in years. That's why the Gullah Gigi, we do life everlasting team. We had all our little routines because they never really went to doctors. They knew what mm-hmm. wishes to get. I got some life everlasting tea in my car right now that I drink when I get a little cold. Uh-huh. We, they did not march just for us to get marched all over. So if any of them want to say, oh, he marched, okay. They like to quote the Bible here. Well, I know the Bible too for all the older, the older ones who go to trip big hats. But I love hats too. Hey, got a lot of fun with them. Um, there's a scripture in the Bible says that he that endures to the end is the one that will be saved. So it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Mm. Okay? If I want to be vulgar, I have a good um, um, illustration. I'm going to keep it PG right now. Because a strong start don't mean nothing if it's a less than stellar finish. So um, I will tell them that. I don't want to hear you. That's like telling me I marry a husband. Okay, well, I was heterosexual wife. You think that's gonna be an issue with me too? I don't give a damn. I'll tell them I ain't, I ain't worried about that. Anyway, that's not gonna be an issue. People don't care about what I'm sleeping, but they care about what, what I'm gonna do for them. They don't care about making sure they go to sleep and their needs are met. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say that's like saying to a woman, "You married this man. He was wonderful for the first six months. Now he's beating the hell out of you. He's been doing it for the past eight years. 
but you're going to stay with him because he was so good for the first six months? Mm. No. I don't care about the marching then. We got to focus on what are you doing now? Mm-hmm. It's not okay that you are a great husband the first six months. You've been beating the hell out of me for the next for the last 28. It's time for this relationship to end. And what Janet Jackson uh, said, what have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm. What did Jody Walton say? I'm looking for a new lover. That's so, right. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> well, so you've told us a lot about your campaign. You've been very thorough. So I appreciate that. Like, I, I don't think there's a single person that's going to listen to this and not understand where you're coming from, why you're running, what inspired you to run, what your platform is, all aspects of your platform, what you intend to do for the people in your district, the concern, the care, the love that you have for the people of your district, that you have for Black Americans and all Americans, because we should all be getting these things, but understanding that when you fix Black America, you fix America, as you mentioned. Um, exactly. Just come on, so- repair uh, repair Black America to fix America. And That's one right. thing about me, I'm not intimidated because I don't know everything. What I do know is right from wrong, and mm-hmm. what I do know is what needs to be done. So they mm-hmm. think they're going to get me with this. Well, what are you going to do about the um, the appropriations process? They are not going to be able to intimidate you with none of this lingo or <laughs> this jargon that I may not know. I know what needs to be done, and I know it needs to be done now. That's mm-hmm. all I need to know. And I know, I want my people to know, I am not, I don't compromise my beliefs, mm-hmm. okay? If I was a person who would have done that, I would have done that a long time ago at these town halls when I had people like Jamie Harrison, another do-nothing person, Riley, told me they were going to grab me and drag me out. I better get my A on out of here. Ooh. First of all, <laughs> what? I'm not even a valid person. I was like, what, what, what happened now? What happened now? But... I did it back now when I had like literally people talking going to a Trump rally. I've been to some Democratic rallies that will probably be the same as me going to a Trump rally about reparations. As Hell, hostile it as it was. But I, yeah, it was very hostile. And I did it back down then. I don't back now. I've been falling off with some reparations this, but reparation is because I stick to my opinion, even when everyone else, literally, I've been, everyone else say no, she, she, no, but I stick to what I believe. Does it mean I'm not willing to reconsider some of my views? Mm-hmm. When it comes to my people, there's no reconsidering to be done. No one's mm-hmm. going to ever shame my people. No one's ever going to slander my people. No one's ever going to misalign my people. No one's going to abuse my people. And no one's going to tell me not to keep fighting like hell to get my people mm-hmm. what they deserve. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm going to be there to fight. I want to work with people. I want to build alliances. I have done that. But that's all I'm hard to fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so as we wrap up, when people hear this message, I think it's a compelling one, right? Like you're, you're very authentic. Like that's, that's the main thing I would say if someone was like, you know, tell me about Marcel, I would say he's authentic. He cares about this stuff. So if someone else hears this, this interview tonight and they feel like, Hey, I want to help him. What, what, what do you need the most? Big or small, like give us the give us the things that you need, so when people hear this, they know how they can help. Well, I work full time, and now I work two jobs. Running this campaign by myself, and people like people, you've been doing this alone. I said, well, how's this going to get done? Right. I said, I said, I never, I never 
like when I was not, when I, if I was going to be out and I had a sub, I never left something that I really need to get done to be done by the sub. Yeah. I, I, they weren't going to do it like me. And I know my kids won't take them seriously because they, they, they won't give them the kids like me. So I need working full time. I'm a one person. And I told people, people were like, well, you guys are campaigning and we can go travel. I said, huh? I will be honest with people. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to win this within reason. But I have to keep my physical, mental, and emotional health. I do have mental illness from which I've suffered. It, it was this link to some of the experience I've had as a child. I go to a therapist. I'm not ashamed of none of that. I think as Black people, Black Americans, especially Black American men, we need to be more comfortable talking about it. I have to, if I need to stay in and rest, I'm going to stay in and rest. But I promise you, I've been on this earth for 36 years, and I ain't never had something I needed to get done that didn't get done. And didn't get done before others did it done way or higher quality than others. So now I was the only one with it done. Everybody was like, well, damn, you didn't need more time? No. I need people to spread the word about me. Okay? I need people to follow me on Twitter. And that way they'll keep they'll I'll keep them up there with my campaign because mm -hmm. my website is about to launch. I need people to be patient with me. I need anyone who has family in South Carolina, even if they're not in my district, to tell their families about me. Mm -hmm. I need people mainly to spread the word for me. I need people to really support me. I need to earn their support. I need people to understand that we are not going to agree on everything. You will not find a person more on call and for reparations than I, but there are other views and political views that I have that they may not agree with. Like, mm -hmm. for example, I believe in Black love. I believe in Black American people or Black, even with Black people, Black people of the country having beautiful Black children. Okay? I believe us passing our Blackness down, physically, phenotypically speaking. I'm not anti-white. My view of white people in general is what James Baldwin said. This quote always gives me goosebumps. Like it's doing right now. James Baldwin to a white woman. I don't have anything against you personally. I don't know you personally, but I know you historically. Uh, That's you know white people. I don't have anything against the white person personally. I just see down the street. I don't know you personally, but the thing with you, white with white America, I know you historically. Historically, it ain't been good. That doesn't mean I don't think you're a good person. It just means that as an entity from a political aspect. That's how I have to approach it. So it's a price this republic exacts. Any black man or woman walking, and that is a crime. I paid for that crime in my life. And I don't believe my countrymen anymore. They will not do to him what they failed to do to me. I was seven years old 47 years ago, and nothing has changed since then. Look, look, I don't mean it to you personally. I don't even know you. No, I got nothing against you. I don't know you personally, but I know you historically. You can't have it both ways. You can't swear to the freedom of all mankind and put me in chains. Stay tuned. Follow my Twitter account. If you want to, I, I haven't done a town hall in a while because 
I've been so busy with this. Uh -huh. And also, the, the people that I really want to get to, they aren't doing anything. Like, James uh -huh. Weiber, like, I'm to the point now, he's not even going to, if I did confront him again, because he was confronted again by some other people, so I think I didn't start something, but he was being all belligerent. I'm more aggressive than every last one of you. First of all, you don't have the right to get upset because people challenge you. You work for us. Uh -huh. We don't praise you. So lose this king with the crowd mentality, okay? We have a right to question you. We uh -huh. have a right to see we're unhappy with you. If you don't like it, quit. I expect people to challenge me. I expect people to question me. They will do it respectfully, or you will not get a response from me because if you didn't like it. But I expect them to hold me accountable. I expect people to say, hey, hey. I expect people to give me a reasonable amount of time to get things done. And uh -huh. I expect people to understand that don't focus on me, focus on what I get done. And if it's not done, hold me accountable, especially if it was because I didn't fight to get it done. Uh -huh. But if I fought to get it done and I'm in this system that is always anti-Black American needs, like reparations, then what we need to do is get more people like me or better than me, smarter than me, more articulate, more intelligent, better looking than me, whatever, hell, whatever, however, get them in Congress too, okay? Uh -huh. Because I have quite a few reparations out there, reparationists, who are always saying we need to run for office. And these are people who have more money, more experience than I. I'm like, yeah, we do. And I was like, waiting for them to do it. And I was just going to be like the cheerleader. <laughs> After we had said it for another year and they were still saying, I'm like, okay, what the hell are we waiting for? Uh -huh. Well, we waited for everything to be just right. That's not how it works. So finally, I said, hell with it. I'm poor. I don't have a damn thing anyway. All I'm going to do is be even poor. I mean, if I have nothing, if I'm going to lose, then I'm not going to be phony anyway, but I'm not going to be phony. I might as well be out there. Think about it. Hell, if I'm doing, I might as well keep it real, people. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm about. And uh -huh. sometimes authenticity takes you further than anything else. And respect takes you further than money will, and authenticity will take you where sometimes respect can't. That's right. That's right. Well, listen, this has been great. We've been up here getting Thank to you. know each other. You've shared so much about yourself. I really appreciate you stopping in. Um, we will definitely Thank make sure that. Me. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, We'll make sure that everyone has the information for how to donate to the campaign, how to follow you out on Twitter and how to really help you spread your message. Cause I think that's going to be one of the biggest things that you have to do um, in order to, to make a dent in this. Right. So. Thank you. And may I just say one last closing thought. Sure. Yeah. There are lots of other freemen who feel like I'm poor. I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. I want to say to them, first of all, I love my people. That doesn't mean I love them filial, agape, love based on principle, meaning my principles, I'm a, I'm going to do good for you mm -hmm. even if I don't know you personally. Filial can come and go. People divorce. Filial love. I loved you once. Now I hate you. Now people who love each other hate each other now. Love my people. Every contribution matters. If even all you can do is just like a tweet or retweet it, your contribution is important. I want me, uh, people, I see a lot of people online with something I said, sure, like, well, all I can do is just retweet things. That, that's something. That's what you can do. That's worth it. But I want to also tell people who feel like they want other people to run for office, 
do what I'm doing. I was like that too. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing, okay? But I bet you I'm going to do a damn good job. Sometimes we just got to say, I'm going to do it, okay? Mm-hmm. We need to stop waiting for the right person or the right time. Because we the right people. And mm-hmm. we got the right message. And that's reparations. So run, my people. Run. We If we all started running across this country, if nothing else, even if we all lost, it will send a message to D.C. that there's something going on with Black Americans, Native Black Americans. They are not playing about reparations. They're not playing about a Black agenda. Run, my people. We've always been most resilient, resourceful, intelligent, boldest people. And we still are. And that's how we're going to close it. This has been Marcel Dixon. This is Glow with Critical Justice. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you you next time. Take care. Thank you for having me.